leave this to Bernard Cribbins. What? Go on, mate. What a bloody cheek, honestly. <laughs> this is absolutely wonderful, and I know, I know how pleased he must be because he's been at it for four years. And I think everybody who gets involved with Doctor Who will be just as pleased as he is. And I know, I know that he would want to pay tribute to the team down in Wales, from Julie and Russell at the top, right down to the runners, Tom and Blod, wherever she is tonight. Uh, the whole team down there are certainly the best I think I've ever worked with in British television. Ever, ever, ever. They're wonderful. And for the viewers who voted for this, thank you, BBC Cumbrian Beth. For Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hartley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks, and this is the latest episode of our show where we not only review and preview the Time Lord's adventures in whatever media, but travel and track the decades of real-world history, its comings, and in this case, its goings. And it's a very sad occasion bringing us together this time, the loss of a wonderful performer and invaluable screen and stage presence in the lives of generations of British viewers. His work on Doctor Who in particular has been enjoyed by those the whole world over. And it was announced on Thursday, the 28th of July, Bernard Cribbins OBE passed away at the age of 93. Bernard was a performer for over 70 of those years in movies, TV and theatre. He seemingly worked with uh, everybody during that time. For us, it was uh, for so long, primarily as the co-star of the second of the Doctor Who and the Daleks movies that he was in alongside Peter Cushing. That was what we knew him for. But decades later, of course, he, he came back as the much-loved character Wilf Mott between 2007 and 2010. Bernard is well known for having thrown himself into absolutely every job that he ever took. And you never knew really where he was going to, going to show up next. 
and uh, with a return to our favourite show coming for its 60th anniversary and masses of memories to share here, well, this edition of Type 40 is our humble, loving tribute, salute, celebration of Bernard Cribbins for you, for us, and for him. With me on this show, so we've got Simon Horton, Charlotte Shields, and Ian Diaz, all here to pay tribute to the uh, the legend that is Bernard Cribbins. You, you hear these phrases trotted out, don't you? A legend, a national treasure. They're only cliches because they're true, aren't they? Well, do you know what I think is really interesting? As we, as we start to talk about Bernard, and just with your introduction there, the one thing that I, I'm left with, the one question I'm left with, is there anybody out there at all that doesn't love Bernard Cribbins. He's one of those people who is not divisive. He's not Marmite. He's not you either love him or loathe him. I genuinely am intrigued. I can't imagine there is a soul in the United Kingdom that doesn't love Bernard Cribbins. Because what is not to love about him? I would agree. Lots of entertainment figures are Marmite. And they can be people from the from current times, from reality TV, people in their teens and early 20s, or even much, much older people who've been around forever. You know, I know, I know people who don't like Cliff Richard, which I find extraordinary, but it's true. Simon's right, isn't he, Charlotte? Yeah, and I think it's Cribbins just had this energy. And that's also a phrase you, you hear a lot. Sort of somebody's got this special energy or there's something about them. But with Bernard, it was just, he reached out and whenever whether he was, you just heard his voice or you saw him on screen, you just instantly connected. It didn't matter what age, because I first saw him in Doctor Who in that special, when it was just a cameo. And instantly I remember just feeling like, oh God, what a lovely character. That whatever age you do get that connection with Bernard. Ian, we often hear when we talk about character actors on, on this show alone, but you often hear it said, don't you, that the actors from that era have this kind of twinkling quality. It's been, it was said about William Hartnell, you know, in the, uh, in the Adventures in, in the Space and Time docudrama, but Bernard Cribbins really was part of that generation, wasn't he? It had that star quality. Yeah, he was, but um, I hate to say it, the thing I remember him um, for most is uh, the Wombles. <laughs> it's not Doctor Who, it's the Wombles because we'll be when I was growing up all. we'll be touching yeah. on it all I promise as, as the show goes ahead because there isn't a great deal that Bernard hasn't done on the stage on the on the small screen and he, you know, he's been in considerably uh, considerable successes on the, on the big screen too Ian look, in the old days, right, actors weren't after fame, they went after being on Instagram and talking load yeah. of crap Basically, they were just wanted to work. And Bernard was one of those. He came from that generation. Him, you know, all the actors you can mention. I mean, uh, Roy Castle, all of them. They just wanted to work. That's why Bernard and Roy Castle and the people that came from that generation, they did everything. He did Jack and Nori, He did dramas. He did movies. He did TV. He did a comedy sketch. He had his own show as a, a comedy thing. So all he wanted to do was work and perform. That was, that was his sole purpose on this planet. He did a really great job with anything that he did, whether it was reading a story from Jack and Ori or putting a voice to Orinoco in bloody, uh, what is it, uh, uh, Wombles. He was fantastic. He was great at what he did. And how could you not like someone like that? You can't. Every time you see him, you kind of gravitate towards him. Even when he was in Doctor Who, you gravitate towards him because 
it, what what you get from him is not it's not pretend it's purely no. him if you know what i mean simon it seems to me you know ian's ian's right there it's one thing saying, oh, you know, actors, performers, they're not going to turn down work. But Bernard Crippen seemed absolutely fearless, didn't he, in the things that he would that he would take on? And we talk about a lot about these character actors who, who are literally a dying breed. And, and I really mourn the passing of it because, yes, Ian is absolutely spot on. They, they, this breed of actor, yeah, they were they were real heavyweights. They were work. They were workaholics. They just worked and worked and worked. And Ian's spot on. They didn't do it for the fame. They did it for the work and the love of working. And and they just bring such a quality to any production. Again, we've talked about this a lot about gravitas. Yeah. Um, and Bernard Cribbins brings gravitas in spades. Charlotte, the fact that you sort of pick up on, on just a brief cameo in one yeah. episode, you immediately click into that. Well, there's got to be some reason why that is, and it's it's the gravitas, it's the fact that they bring this weight with them that immediately makes you pay attention. Whereas a lot of, I am very very openly critical of a lot of of modern current day actors because it's very yeah. very lightweight. They don't know how to play a character part. They don't often know how to um, literally speak lines to get them out so that they can be understood. It's a very very different. Um, very different mentality of acting, and Bernard was was one of the old I, school of actors. Simple. Yeah, I tell you one thing though. Seriously, um, do you remember um, when Jack and Ori first started? And um, I know somebody that worked at the BBC ran about. Well, not ran about that time, but I know people that were talking to me about Jack and Ori, and they were saying it was really hard to get actors to read the story for kids. Yeah. You know, they were begging people to read and stuff like that. Bernard Cribbins. He just did it. And then when Jack and Ori became famous, I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was like five or seven years ago, they, you know, they brought Jack and Ori back to celebrate Jack and Ori. And yeah. all these big stars were lining up to read the story <laughs> from Jack and Ori, which kind of, when you think about it, it's kind of like, it's ridiculous, isn't it? When you think about it, because really, as I said, Bernard Cribbins, he, he, he just did it because he loves performing, yeah. whether it be reading from a book or whether it be performing physically. But the actors that came in at the end, you know, when we were celebrating Jack and Ori, they wanted to be there because it's Jack and Ori. Yeah. But, you, know, so you see the difference between them both, you know? And it's... But you wonder, don't you, Ian? You wonder in that, I mean, I don't actually know. Maybe you know this, Dan. Did did Bernard Cribbins ever do Shakespeare? Because he should have done, and he would have done it as brilliantly as he did Jack yeah. and Ori. I believe he did. He did a lot of musical theatre. I'm not so sure about I don't know Shakespeare. Where. He could have done Shakespeare. Could researching this that. show the list of credits for this man is absolutely extraordinary far far greater and more diverse than i than i was certainly aware and the list of people that he worked with mm. is just it, it's absolutely everybody and and sure enough you know we hear that he worked with with actors like david niven you see him in everything from from little five minute shows on CBeebies, which yep. he made well into his 80s, to really quite big movies. I don't think there's anybody in Great Britain who's never seen who's never seen The Railway Children, for example. Yeah. That's a big film. There's yeah. a, a sequel just out now, like a legacy sort of sequel to this film. And his character of Perks in that is absolutely yeah. integral to to the entire story, to the uh, to the appeal of it all. I think that he kind of disappears into some of these parts and that I, I wouldn't say we necessarily took him for granted 
but he was so convincing that, that you kind of forget that it was him. Oh, yes, and that was him. Oh, and this was that, him. And he was the voice of course. Him. What you're saying, Dan, there is that's exactly what we're talking about. That's a character actor. They 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 disappear into their character. That's why they're so good at it, because you forget who it is that's playing it. And so often nowadays you will see a big film with, with a famous star in it and they don't disappear into the character you you're constantly aware that you are watching whichever actor this is whereas and it also touches on what ian was saying that's because again he wasn't bothered about any fame or anything like that he was just mm -hmm. doing the part because he was good so there's no showing off there was no showmanship there no doing the part yeah i think another part of that is how just how he could be a brilliant comedian in mm -hmm. one part and he could yeah. make you laugh and then yeah. he could do a heartbreaking scene and that's what I felt, I think that's why Wilf worked so well for me, because I saw him just have that spectrum that, like I said, when he first got introduced, it was more of a sort of, here's sort of a funny sort of one-off character. And then as soon as he got more work in the series, when he came back, I, some of his scenes, especially in the specials with Tennant, I think it just shows his weight. The whole scene I, I love, is when Tennant's doctor is talking about regeneration to Wilf. And he's basically saying, I don't want to die, I'm scared. And Wilf just carries that scene with Tennant and you can see that Wilf is listening and is understanding and he's trying to lend that ear. Five, ten minutes ago, like like Dan just said, he had that picture of him with, with a funny hat on. And you yeah. were laughing and that's with the antlers. Yeah. That's that's the silhouette of Wilf that we remember with his woolly hat on, with the, the paratroopers pin badge on there, which I understand was one of his own personal touches that he, he would add. He would completely invest himself in these characters and he would I think he would often, if not ad lib lines of the script, I think this is something that he always did, but he would certainly suggest things to writers and directors. If they went with it, they went with it. If they didn't, they didn't. I don't think he was precious in the way that we hear that Tom Baker got to be about such things. But he was functional, I think, and constantly creative, thinking of what he could do. But I, get, I also get the impression that it wasn't just the case that he wanted to dial up whatever he was doing at the expense of other actors mm -hmm. and the production. It seemed to be a more holistic way of thinking. What could be the best thing for the for the entire piece? And I think he'd always always been like that. But you think of, you think back to that second Dalek film where he was largely, you know, he he was filling the role that, that had been vacated by by Roy Castle. He was yeah. kind of the the um, the younger uh, male lead who could move that bit quicker that, than Peter Cushing could. But in that he, he brings a lot of strength and, uh, and he sort of anchors the whole thing really as an identifying f uh, figure and yet he does a lot of sort of goofing around, doesn't he? I mean, the scene... He got scene beaten there, up in, in, the, in the beginning. It was really violent when machine. he got beaten up. And, do you he go beat in the beginning? I was like, he what? Got a whack. He got <laughs> he a did proper it. whack, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. I, I, got, I get the impression that he would he would take that and he would probably suggest it would be great if you gave me a proper kosh at that <laughs> moment. I think he'd be down for, for pretty much whatever. I was surprised as well, just in the last few days since since Bernard passed away, how little I knew about about his life. I think I'd always assumed that a man like him, who was so avuncular, so playful, so much the nation's, the nation's granddad, that he'd probably got quite a large family. And it turns out that um, he was very happily married for 66 years to, to Jill. They, they had no children. They had led quite simple life together. She, yeah. she passed away last year. They clearly had a very fulfilled 
life together, supporting one another. And it's, I think that's all you can really want for anybody, isn't it? You know, he seemed like a very, very happy and contented man. The fact that he was able to work until well into his 80s, Ian, I mean, you could say I, that, you know, we never know which hand we're going to get dealt, do we, as regards our own personal no. health. He maintained that yeah. sort of childlike quality, I think. That probably is part yeah, of it. Yeah, but they, that, that normally happens. Though. I've noticed that about a lot of the generation before me, and when you've got a couple that's been married for years and years. It could well be that, yes, that was the point that they kind of lost, lost the drive, certainly. Mm. But again, you know, what you're saying there, Dan, that you didn't know until recently, until this week, quite, quite the back of your story, that, again, says it all. That's because... They, they, mm. he wasn't he wasn't a social media star he was just nope. a damned good actor he was a professional you didn't need to know his private life um yep. and it wasn't necessarily because he was deliberately being private or or, or secretive or uh, reclusive or anything it's just he didn't court uh the, the media in the way that, that that people nowadays as ian said do i felt because because he'd been around for so long charlotte mm. i felt that i knew him and it turns out I I didn't because he was so good at his job at disappearing into those characters. He made me feel not just that I knew him, but I, I knew all of them too. They were all facets, all facets of him, you know. I, I I think some of that's because whenever he did do like you had that clip at the awards ceremony, whenever he did sort of go out in public, he was so so funny and full of charisma and sort of down to earth, and you got a lot. Like I said, you didn't, he didn't court the media, but you almost got a lot of him when he did yeah. go to things that you just instantly, it just added more to the character that you already had in your head, I think. I was, so, I was sort of talking to some of my Dot 2 friends because I got quite emotional on Thursday. And we all sort of said the same thing. And we all sort of said, we, we, we felt like he was just going to be here forever. Mm. Like, and, and it's such an odd feeling to say, because obviously that's never going to happen. But... Mm. You just felt like his presence or him was just gonna it's, stay. Yeah, it is. It is funny because because we've all been very very aware of of his age for the past few years. Um, you know, I've I've constantly almost been sort of waiting for the news to come in because we knew, as you say, Charlie, he was going to come in at some point. But a little bit like David Bowie, I think he was the, one of those kind of people that you did kind of feel. Well, he's been around forever, so of course yeah. he's going to outlive me. He's going to be around forever. You got so used to he's, he's so part so part of everybody's life that it wasn't like you say, Dan. It's not necessarily that you're taking them for granted. So much as they are literally part of the furniture, and and you, however much you know, they're not going to be around forever. You just kind of take it for granted. Well, of course they will be. I know they're not going to be around forever, but they will actually be around forever because we just got so used to him being there and seeing those performances. I, I don't know. I just you know everybody keeps saying that he's he has charisma and all that stuff. Yeah, he did have charisma, right? But the best thing about him and actors of his ilk is like I did not know anything about his private life, and that's where it should stop. Yeah. It really should. Today, I was watching something on, what is it, uh, Instagram, and there's Will Smith saying that it wasn't his wife that made him slap so-and-so and all that rubbish. Do I need to know that? No. All I want yeah. to see him is perform in a movie, yeah. go and pay, eat my popcorn and get out. I don't want to know anything about anyone's life. We know about all. his wife, his kids, all their exactly. dirty laundry. Exactly. Yeah, and I, exactly. I yeah, completely oh, oh. agree. He belongs, Bernard Cribbins belongs to the same 
school that that John Pertwee did. I think it's yeah, no coincidence yeah. that they were occasional yeah. occasional playmates, <laughs> even though Bernard was a little younger yeah. than than John Pertwee was. Yeah. Pertwee was um, also quite fearless and lived under Pertwee used to describe it didn't he Simon as being under a green umbrella all his career so he would never play himself yeah. ironically until he until he took the role of, of the doctor yeah. that was when he that was the nearest to John Pertwee that John Pertwee ever was on screen yeah. and I wonder what was the closest we ever got to seeing the real, the real Bernard Cribbins on screen oh, there? No. I, I'm starting to wonder that. I, well, that we don't want to, do we? I mean, look, look at that no, scene where he's talking to David David Tennant and he was talking about the master and, he's, and he takes his gun out and he says, well, you know, end it before, you know, before it gets worse. You know what I mean? If he's going to come and kill you, you might as well kill him. And obviously the doctors say, no, I don't use a gun, blah, 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 whatever. But that performance in itself, right, it's absolutely fantastic because the guy can act. The amount yeah. of people I've seen in Doctor Who that just can't act, and I just go like this <laughs> all the time. And, and he was, yeah, he was in it for what? How long? If you count all the minutes that Bernard Cribbin was uh -huh. in Doctor Who, it would probably equal an hour. Mm -hmm. No, actually, no, that's not true. Probably two hours. <laughs> probably two hours, yeah, yeah, a couple of hours. But he's he's a brilliant actor. The bit where he was talking about, you know, he was in the war, just came out of nowhere. And when he started I... talking about when he was in the war, you believe what he was saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's because he's a good actor. That's why we feel sorry that he's gone, in my opinion, of course. Yeah, well... and, and it's also amazing, just to add to that, is if I think we've all forgotten that Wilf wasn't originally part of Russell's plans for Series No, it War. wasn't. Originally, it was going to be Donna's dad. Rob. That's right. Yes. I've forgotten right. that. He'd been in the Runaway Bride, hadn't he? An, yeah. an actor. How in that field wasn't it played Donna's father in that? I can't remember, but he tragically passed. And yeah. Then, yeah. Got then that. Russell. Russell obviously saw the reaction Wilf got in that in the Christmas special, mm. and obviously knew, like we said, he was a class act. He was a name. He could trust him. And mm. then we got Wilf. So uh, that's also been going around my head a bit. Just that in another universe. We could have not even had yeah. what we got in series four and the specials. Wow. And I think that's the testament that even when he wasn't part of the original plans, he could just come in and like Ian like Ian was saying, not get the like the amount of scenes that like maybe a main companion would get or some of the more higher bill, but he could just come in and impress mm -hmm. and leave the impression he has. And that's because, again, he was a jobbing actor. He just got on and he did yeah. that. That's that's what actors did. So he was he was never going to get precious about, oh, I haven't got enough scenes or I haven't got enough lines. No, I'll turn up, I'll do the part, I'll read the lines and, and, and I'll go again. And I think in many ways, to answer your question, Dan, I wonder whether Wilf Mott maybe was the closest perhaps we ever got to Bernard Cribbins. I like to think that a character as lovely as, as Wilf Mott was <laughs> To, to, to Bernard in real life. I think it, I think there's a good possibility there. Another thing, that, a chance. another thing that really hit home watching the last uh, couple of episodes, well, it was two, wasn't it, of David Tennant's tenure, was the fact that um, it brought, because of what Wilf said, it brought home that the Doctor cannot really be connected to people because mm. it, it, for him, Wilf died, you know, thousands and millions of years ago or hundreds of years ago it's a detachment but he couldn't help gravitating towards wilf because of the stuff that he was saying and that's pure doctor who in my opinion that yeah. performance and that and that discussion and and the doctor with, with a human being that's that's of age is what in my opinion what doctor who is all about it's not yeah. about plastic i can't <laughs> imagine a david Tennant <laughs> era I can't yeah. imagine the David Tennant era without Bernard Cribbins, 
as Wilfmott, mm. that which he brought to the show, just as much as the the full time companions that we that we know from that entire era, from Martha, from Donna, from from Rose, and and everybody else. And yeah, we've got a lot of memories to go back on from his time, not just in Doctor Who, but in those other shows too. As we as we move through our tribute. And we'd like you to let us know too. Get in touch with your memories about Bernard Cribbins and Wilf and Tom, everything associated with this this much loved actor, who's doubtless going to be very very missed. It's strange to think that we're not going to see him in other things, hear him in more adverts. You know, he he read so many audiobooks. More on all that a little bit later on. But in the meantime, if you'd like to do some real-time travelling of your own, each and every edition of our show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice if you know where to look. There's well over a 100 now. Reviews, previews, interviews, geek outs and deep dives with all our regular panellists and other awesome guests. There's something for every fan at type40.podbean.com both audio editions of our live stream shows, Type 40 Live and the Type 40 podcast itself. There'll be more about all of that later on and uh, as well as a couple of minutes where we'll be making contact with the matrix of all knowledge that we call the Fandom Podcast Network for a word about all the other fantastic conversations that are going on stretching across geek culture over there. Okay, so I think now we can we can sort of relax a little and and take in some of the the flavour of the career of Bernard Cribbins, some of his greatest hits, how many memories that we can jog amongst ourselves, the cream of British TV. Yeah, so uh, Bernard Cribbins had been around since the 1950s, can you believe it? He he left school at the age of 13 and entered directly into showbiz, joining the Oldham Rep Theatre. He stayed there for eight years. He fitted in his national service with a parachute regiment of all things, Ian. He fitted all that mm-hmm. around being in the Rep. Well, he was dedicated. Quite an achievement. Yeah, he, cer- he certainly was. There was more rep work in London, Liverpool, Manchester, all over the place before he made his West End debut in 1956. But he also had this strange parallel career, Simon. You might remember some of this oh, too. I... As, a re- as a recording artist, novelty I... singles and albums working with George Martin of the Beatles fame, of all people. Absolutely. I remember this very, very well as someone who grew up on uh, Ed Stupot's uh, junior choice. You know, Bernard Cribbins, I would probably hazard a guess, was on that show every single week. Um, And Right Said Fred, you know, we haven't even talked about Right Said Fred yet. That is truly, truly iconic and and infamous and famous in equal measures. Uh, You know, who doesn't know Right Said Fred? Inspiring. Um, Even spawned a a band named after the song, you know, the, 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 the... He's one of these people, again, that we talk about a lot, where their shadow is very, very long. And I remember, right, said Fred, uh, just so well from Saturday mornings listening to to Junior Choice. You would think, though, Simon, those records were so successful. And yet a few years later, there he was, not just in the Dalek movie with with Peter Cushing, but in a couple of carry-on films. He was in a film with Peter Sellers. He was in several pretty big British movies. Big shows, Ian, like The Avengers. Space 1999, playing wildly different parts too. Exactly. Obviously, the Avengers has played tongue in cheek the whole of the thing. He just matched that whole tone. You know what I mean? He, you know, it wasn't like he was trying to pretend to be that tone. 
He just matched it, and that's how good he was. I hate. I keep saying how good he is. Seriously, compare him to some of the actors today. Just there's no comparison, really. <laughs> there really. It's versatility, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He's versatile, simple as that. The Railway, Railway Children is a film that uh, obviously means so much to so many people. A film that everybody seems to find, probably because it turns up on ITV3. I think they, they show it seemingly most weekends. You've seen that <laughs> one too, Charlotte. Bits of it, because like you said, I always seem to catch it like halfway through at Christmas when it's on during the day. Yeah. Or those sort of times. Like The Sound but, of Music, Chitty Bang Bang, all those yeah, films. It's, one it's, of those. it's definitely one of those, but I think it was quite odd for me to go back because I have now seen the Dalek movie he's in and some of the, I think my parents were like, I'll watch a bit of the Wombles because that's what they grew up with. Yeah. And because because the Chris, like Dot 2 at one point was a thing that I'd watch with my dad and my brother and my mum, like especially Christmas, we'd all sit. I'd, I'd understand it. My parents would be a bit confused. And the, and they <laughs> reacted when Bernard came on screen. So I was like, who's that? And and, they, and and I remember they just sort of laughed and said, oh, God, you, you, you need to go on YouTube. You'll find so many things. And that's what was odd for me. But even seeing him young, I could just see the same traits, but maybe just a bit more amplified. And the one was for me, like Ian mentioned it earlier on, that was the big thing for me. I was for just well. at that age. I was mm. preschool when the Wombles was first on, brand new, and the, the uh, novelty records that came with that that Mike Bat put together. But the show seemed to be on daily, and Bernard Cribbin's voice in that was so, so idiosyncratic, so playful. And, and another he, thing, Dan, he, he, his face and his, his persona and his, his voice represented England at that time. Yeah, yeah, he's all, that's he's why, all rainy, yeah. rainy bank holiday Mondays, and I think uh, I always associate him with with waiting for my tea, Simon. Because yeah, of well, the Wombles and Jack and Ori. I, I mean, yeah. the Wombles. I, I agree totally. It was the the Wombles was certainly my first introduction to Bernard Cribbins. Obviously, I had no idea who 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 was doing the voice. And again, this is key. It, you didn't know who was doing the voice. It didn't matter who was doing the voice. You just loved the voice, and you loved the the, the, the way. Yeah. Played it, um, and and again, it just shows such incredible versatility. What I love about the Wombles, and if anybody out there has not yet watched any of those five minutes, they're well about four minutes each. These Wombles, yeah, are, very sit, short, aren't they? Give yourself a treat, go and watch them. And what I love about them is that they're so underplayed. Um, and this is something that he would ju- again. It's the professional. Sure. And just deliver yeah. the lines knowing that he's got the pitch just right without trying too hard and so it just becomes effortless and the Wombles to me is the absolute prime example yeah. of, that, of everything else they all go they're all going about um Seth MacFarlane but if you look at uh, um, Bernard Cribbins doing the, vo- the the many voices in the Wombles yeah it's, of it's, course because he voiced all of those characters they were all very very different weren't they yeah Orinoco, he made him so lovable that that's yeah. the only character you'll gravitate towards is is Orinoco. So yeah, but, anyway. you, but you must remember when you're watching them all, was he did he didn't Madame Cholet, he did no, great yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, he did them all, and yeah, it's all, all. such a deftness and a lightness mm. of touch that the Wombles remains just an absolute joy. It really yeah. does gold yeah. standard of of kids shows, oh, and I I think that Arthur Lowe did the the mr men for example but he didn't have to do voices he didn't have to inhabit the characters in the same way that bernard managed to with with all those wombles i can't remember how many characters there was 
seven or eight yeah, and yeah, all the characters the little characters the human human characters that would sort of flit that would flit in and out of it like that and then you look across to that guest appearance in faulty towers mm. playing one one of many grotesque characters and he's, he's all sort of buttoned up and really uptight and desperately unpleasant and he's one of the very few characters you who sort of um challenges faulty mm. himself for being such yeah. a, a nasty piece of work you know you want to see him get his comeuppance as well don't you and you think he's he's the same still absolutely love the, the, the and that's why again he's just so good at playing any part because even when he's playing a nasty part you still love him to bits a joy to yeah. watch and you can imagine how they worked on that material together and because obviously faulty towers was a very complex show and it probably would have intimidated a lot of people. You think you think about the people who are in that. You know, the, not just Bernard Cribbins, but Una Stubbs was in that too. Lots of Nicky Henson, lots of those kind of actors who would turn up in everything. And you can see, you know, no doubt at all, that they're having a blast doing it. But yeah, all of that at the same time that he was voicing the Wombles, that he was dropping in on shows like Space 1999. I wouldn't necessarily call that hard sci-fi, but it, it was played completely and utterly straight. Nowadays, actors sometimes think that that voice work is the same and you can just go from being an actor on stage to doing whether that's narration work or audio work or anything. And I think that's a real big misunderstanding because voice work, I think, is like the hardest work you can do because you haven't got props on screen, you haven't got your body language, you're sort of disarmed in so many ways and you've just got your voice. The thing is, though, today now doing voiceovers is celebrated and known as fantastic art. But when Bernard was doing it, when Tim Brooke Taylor was doing it, when, um, you know, um, what's his name? Terry Scott was doing it. It was considered something the lowest of the low to do a a kid's show. And it just goes to prove that those kind of actors, right, they weren't concerned about what other people thought of them as as an actor. They do the job, the best of their abilities, and then move on to the next job. You should just listen to someone like Terry Terry Scott playing um, Penfold in... In wow. Danger Mouse, it's freaking fantastic. It, it really is. is, and I don't Funny say enough, that lightly. I was I was trying to think of other people that I could think of that came close to Bernard Cribbins, yeah. and the only one I could think of was Terry Scott because yeah. he also he also used to play <laughs> most of his roles. Whether it was he did the novelty records too, but most of his roles he would play grown men. Yeah. who were kind yeah, yeah. of like inner children, didn't yeah, he, yeah. Simon? <laughs> yeah. It was it, yeah. you could imagine him still playing conquers in his forties and fifties. I saw a footage, it was old footage in the 70s of Tim Brooke Taylor, um, you know, uh, Terry Scott and and, uh, and even, even um, what's his name, um, the guy in Only Fools and Horses, I can't remember his name, J- David, David Jason. Jason. They had a little little square thing and they were doing the voice, blah, 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 like that. You watch the people today when they do Disney, they're, they got this huge space, they're allowed to move their bodies, yeah. they like to get, you know, because they want to get the thing out. But why doing it in the 70s, they man? Yeah, that's how good they were. It's, it's, where, you, where, where you're basically in a cupboard, weren't you? It's like, right, yeah, cupboard, that's how good they were. Go. Modern day voiceovers, an actor that, that everybody that is a regular viewer of the show will know, I love, is Ben Wishaw. And, mm. and as we know, he did the voice of Paddington Bear. Yeah, he did, and, yeah. I'm sorry, but it's. It, I personally think it's awful. I think it's just terrible. <laughs> I love Ben Wishaw, but he's completely miscast, and because because he simply is not a voiceover artist. And I think of Paddington Bear in those films being voiced by Bernard Cribbins, and I'm like, that's the voice I want to hear playing oh, Paddington yes. Bear. People underestimate the difficulty of doing yes. good voiceover work. They think yeah. they can just stand in front of a mic, 
energy and says, you know, emote a little bit, throw their arms around and really yeah. get into it. And it's going to be, but it's not, it does, that's not how it works. And Bernard just did it effortlessly. I suppose you could say that now in we've got this, uh, we've got the whole genre of audiobooks and, yeah. and Audible and, and all all this kind of thing, you know, for people who are, who are too, lo- too lazy like lazy. me to, pro- to properly read, get stuff yeah. read to you. But you could say that a lot of that could have started with Jack and Ori. And oh God, my yeah. my earliest memories of, of Bernard himself, that there's a face, was all those appearances on Jack and Ori, waiting, as I said earlier on, waiting for my tea to be ready. That was the show. It was on for 10 or 15 minutes. And it did seem strangely like his show. I mean, that ran for well over 20 years, didn't it? But uh, it turns out that he was, it's not just your memory playing tricks on you. He did read more stories than anybody else. 25 books across nearly 100 episodes. Plenty of other big talent read stories on on Jack and Ori. Everybody from Rick Mayle to Jeremy Irons, Floella Benjamin, all these people that we knew from, from other things. Sylvester McCoy. Bernie yeah. Cribbins was was the king. It was never too long before anybody else. You felt that they were warming Bernard's seat for him. It was never too yeah, long really? before, before I Bernard was so. back on that. I remember when Spike Milligan did it. That was absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it just, it just goes to show, don't it? The whole world has changed when it comes to being famous. And you could say that Russell T Davis took a, a chance on Bernard Cribbins as Wolfmart when, when he got him chance, back though, onto Doctor it. Who. Well, you, you could say, would the audience latch on to him? Would a 21st century audience latch on to him as Wilf Mott, the way that we latched on to him in, in the 70s? I think they did. Um, Look, you just got to listen to Charlotte. She, she latched yeah. on to him. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, but and, and, and I also think Russell took a chance in the bit of the car- how Wilf was characterised because mm. he was incredibly patriotic. He, was, mm-hmm. he loved being British. He loved the Queen, like all those things. Which I think in sometimes in the modern days locked down on, and the yeah. fact that we had this character that was no, I'm proud, and I'm going to show my flag, I'm going to show how I feel about my country, and that's I th- maybe that's why a bit why I think I did quite like him from the beginning, because I think I, I like it when I see characters like that. Because he has values. To see it. Yeah. We must give Russell T credit for the writing uh, for Wilf. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, he could have just dismissed him, but he didn't. He made him into a character. And then, as um, Charlotte says, he replaced the guy that died and the rest is history. But you're not taking a chance when you're, at, when you're actually hiring a veteran actor because you know what you're going to get. You know they're going to be professional. You know they're going to do their job, stand on their mark and go home. Do you know what I mean? It's not I mean, like for, you're... For his part, for his part in Voyage of the Dam, perhaps not because it was, it was a cameo party. That's yeah. how it was written. I yeah. think that's kind of... Whilst I wouldn't say that's how Bernard performed it, I think he was aware of his part in proceedings. Apparently, it was before Voyage of the Damned had even been screened. Bernard had signed to be that regular recurring character in Series 4, but they worked so far in advance at that point that audience reaction wasn't even in the mix, I suppose. They saw something in that, knew that what, what he'd given. I suppose when they'd watched early cuts of it, we can do something with this character. We can, we've, we've lost our original actor and the version of those stories that we wanted to tell. We can lean on somebody like Bernard Cribbins who, still, who clearly still has it, this youthful energy who could work to our schedule. We could have him on location. He's still a very active man. They didn't count on losing that, that actor. In comes Bernard Cribbins. 
it's a, uh, a shorthand in a sense because everybody knows him. And for those generations like Charlotte who hadn't seen him in anything before, he could make up that distance because he was so seasoned. You, you talk like it was planned. I don't think it was planned. I think it was just... He was just lucky because, let's face it, he was put out to pasture for a very, very long time until Doctor Who came along. No, I think you misunderstand you know what, I mean? what, I, what I'm saying. I'd, oh, I'd say they were, they were kind I always of... I do that. <laughs> you know, when, when, when an actor who they cast in a role, you know, they, yeah. they knew that Donna's dad was going was gonna to be in that place yeah. to lose him as they were about to, about to enter production. No, yeah. It wasn't planned. That's what they needed. They needed mm-hmm. somebody who could, who could fill that role r- right away. I, you almost wonder what they were thinking of why they didn't cast him beforehand anyway. You know, it's almost like, yeah. why did it take you so long to realise you needed Bernard Cribbins in your show? You know, in many ways, he should have been the first name that came to almost it's funny. on, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's funny because um, he played an integral part in the death of the David Tennant Doctor, didn't he? Yeah. You know, he he's like a huge piece of the puzzle, isn't he? Yeah. And who would have thought just by his cameo he would I, end I, up in the last... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just going to say as well, I mean, it's, it's always broken my heart. I still think he would have been a fantastic Doctor. Why was he never no, cast? God. Yeah. Well, well, we'll come back to that a little later on because we, there is a story. There's all, you can Ooh, imagine there's going to be a story with somebody who was acting for so long. Of course, there's a story. Yet all those story. multiple appearances across Series 4 of Doctor Who from, for Bernard Cribbins as Wilfred Mott, right from, from uh, Partners in Crime, where we first uh, we first see Donna and Wilf together, don't we, at the allotments, and all of that dialogue between them. We've recently reviewed that for an upcoming episode of, of Type Forty, and hearing it all again, seeing them in those in those parts, my God, it's it's so loaded. Not just with emotion. There's nothing mawkish about any of this. It's played on so many levels, and I and I don't think this is unique to. To this material and these two characters, I believe that this was a standard of quality that runs right across the, the Russell T Davies years, and a kind of drama that he can just he can just tell and characters that he can flesh out. Well, they but they I, both had something in common, didn't they, Donna and um, and Wilf, didn't they? That they basically didn't want to be within spitting distance of the mother because she was such a pain in the ass. I mean, you could could say that they were both dreamers if you want to be, if you want to look at the the nicer side to it. But yeah, there was, there was that. There was the the generation in the middle that made both their lives more difficult than it needed to be that stopped them from doing the things that they really wanted to do and telling them that they both got their heads, heads in the clouds. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Wilf could see um, that Donna was a dreamer just like him. I guess that's why they connect um, so well. Yeah. As I said, that scene in the kitchen just said it all, really, but the relationship between her and her mum and Wilf, and um, obviously... And the, other, the other deep regret that I have, that I really wish uh, had happened, is that the character hadn't been Wilf Moss at all, but had been Tom Campbell. I still think that would have been so cool for Russell. Other people say that. And even if necessary, you didn't even have to give him a surname. Don't give him the surname Campbell. Just call him Tom and just leave us to work out. Is that is that Tom from Dalek's Invasion film? Mm. I still think that was something of a missed opportunity. <laughs> so but they, they um, didn't have the rights, did they? Is there something no, that you I'm guys saying. know more than me? You didn't yeah. necessarily have to call him Tom Campbell, although... Yeah, uh, I, I, Tom. I would have, yeah just Tom. And and as, as Russell T. Davis was so deft at doing, he would occasionally just be able to 
Tom, the character played by <laughs> Bernard Cribbins, would have just every so often just been able to do a little wink and a little nod of understanding to say Donna, for example, or that might that, that for us fans would maybe let us know actually he does know what he's talking about because this is the character we know from the Dalek films without it actually being spelled out, without it being explained. It just could have been so deftly handled and, and, and subtly and lightly handled. And it just, just the odd nod and the wink that... And there he, was. There was that scene. He did get to he did get to dish it out to the Daleks again, though, didn't he? There was that scene with the... Yeah. Was it a paint gun, Charlotte? Yeah. Yes. I, I love that scene because it's... It's such a high stakes finale. You've got old, you've got Rose back, you've got the Daleks invasion, and then there's Wilf with his paint gun. And I, I, I just love the moment when he shoots it and it looks like it's worked and just a beaming smile on his face. And then it, it like uses heat to like make it go away. And he's just like, oh. And then once Rose has shot it, he's like, do you want to swap? And it, it's just, that's something that I can so imagine that line he did at lip. And the whole thing with the paint gun, gun was was Bernard's idea. He went to, to Russell with that, and Russell said, yeah, we, we'll use that, we'll put it in. Wilf, at the end of the day, was the uplifter for Donna. He encouraged her. Yeah, he did, he did. I know why they didn't call him Tom, and I know why they couldn't. I mean, I know it's got something to do I with it. I get it as well. Whatever, yeah. And also, towards the ending, if that was the case, and they did do that, then he would have to know who the doctor is at the ending and all that stuff so and it wouldn't have worked so well no, it would have, but, it, but in, a, in a parallel dimension i really do like to think that it you know it would have been lovely to have him but well, remember russell t did not like the um uh the, the paul mcgann doctor who film at all and he changed his mind halfway through um through making this didn't they he included him in the canon because there's that scene in it where the doctor loses his memory. I can't remember what story that was, and he oh, had that's a diary. A story. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily. The... I I don't get the impression that Russell particularly disliked the TV movie, but he, I don't think he wanted to lean on that, especially. Really, he did like off in um, that TV show he made on Channel Four. What was that show he made on Channel Four? Oh, Queer as Yeah, there was that scene oh, where they were all at the table. Yeah, and they're slacking off. They said, "No, that's not part of canon at all." And Russell T wrote that. So, oh, so I didn't know that because I've seen him. Yeah. He d he has said some nice things about it in other places, but the, but yeah, I can quite been. believe that yeah. what people say, but even Russell T Davis, what he says publicly and how he feels, mm. uh, could be drastically different as I think we're seeing playing out over the <laughs> over the next year or two. But that's another story. All this stuff with Wilf and the yeah. Doctor in that in those final two episodes in the end of time. We've seen him make those appearances. and He was in the Sontaran two-parter, wasn't he, Charlotte? He was littered throughout Series 4. And yet, when it comes to the Tenth Doctor's final adventure, he's had those other companions, hasn't he? I don't know if you, ever, if you class them as proper companions. Uh, Michelle Ryan uh, played uh, Lady Christina, was it? Christina, and yeah. Got Lin Lindsay Duncan was in one. Fantastic mm. actress. You've got David Morrissey in another. These great actors in great parts. But when it came to this this uh, two-part finale, to bring up Bernard Cribbins, to bring him back to the story at a point where Donna had exited, a great investment of faith in this actor who was senior, who is who couldn't run around, who it's, it's such a charged two-part story. You know, I know lots of people have different thoughts about all of that, but what what I think does nail it down is the dynamic between those those two men. Two old soldiers, I think, is what they lean on, isn't it, Charlotte? That's what sort of bonds them there. You know, Ian Ian said something about 
earlier on about this, but I think when you there's that that many layers to it that the doctor feels like he he knows he's reaching the an end point that he's been holding off. I think Wilf is oblivious, completely oblivious to it, but he's he's loyal to him because because of Donna, I suppose. Yeah, and it's not just because of Donna. I think, honestly, Wilf at that point sees the Doctor as this incredible force for good, and he recognises that and he wants to protect it. And I think... But I I, I was thinking about this. I honestly don't think it would have worked with a younger companion in these final two episodes because the Doctor needed somebody with life experience. Mm -hmm. He needed somebody who'd been around, who'd had a... He'd been a soldier, like you said, and that was a big thing they talked about. Because at that yeah. point, Russell hadn't really gone a lot into the time war as well. It was sort of in the background, and we know we knew about it. But it felt like in these specials, we got a bit more of an insight purely because Wilf could share his experiences fighting with the Doctor. Yeah, and it sort oh. of connected that bit back, which is nice for Tennant leaving to have that sort of reintroduction almost of the Time War again. You could see he hated the Master. So I it, hate it was, him too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love the I love the bit where he says, uh, "You're young, you don't understand," and the Doctor's like, "No, <laughs> I'm 900 years old." <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and like Wolf is like, "What?" So I love that bit. That that was a really good scene in that 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 scene. But as I said, you know Bernard Cribbins, he was he was an amazing actor. You know, mm-hmm. as I said, there's no, there's no, there was no there was no risk there at all. Mm-hmm. And you maybe know. Doctor Who didn't revive his career as such. But it it, it's a time in anybody's life where they'd be forgiven for just powering down. I suppose you could say for, yeah. for doing less. And there he was in a high-profile, an essential part, Simon, of what was probably the biggest show on TV at the time. It gave his career this this big push, didn't it? You know, he, he got a, a show on CBeebies. I think that came about largely off the back of playing Wilf when he was the, the leading old Jack's boat, which was another sort of riff on Jack and Ori, wasn't it? He would tell mm. stories to children out of this old boat. He played an old retired fisherman or something like yeah. that. You know, and Sarah Graham talks about that, how her, she watched it with her kids. I can't imagine that that would have, would have come about had it not been for playing Wolf in Doctor Who. I think it's probably reasonably fair to assume that Bernard Cribbins at that point in his career thought that he, his, his yeah. career yeah. wasn't really over, but that his days of glory were over and he'd had his 15 minutes of fame, certainly. And so I think it probably would have been a, a, a huge surprise to him to actually discover, no, there was another couple of minutes fame on the way for him that he hadn't seen coming. And again, this is just a testament to the quality of Doctor Who at that time, that, that it could do no wrong. Everything he touched did kind of turn to gold at that point. And he was, bless him, Bernard was there just at the right moment um, to go in and capitalise on that by playing this part that, yeah, I think you're quite right, Dan. It, I think it's fair to say that we probably wouldn't have heard much or anything from Bernard Cribbins had it not been for mm. Doctor Who knocking on his door and at that precise moment in time and just giving him just that final little that final little lift up towards the end so so you know good on good on for that i felt really de- not depressed a bit sad when we saw the first pictures from the 60th or what, anniversary where he was in the wheelchair yeah. and you know uh, uh david Tennant was pushing him and i felt sad just that looking at him because when you yeah. see him in the last episodes you realise how old he really is there. 
um, and it's sad. It's like we talked about earlier. You you forget that 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 he almost had a finite life. He just did seem like he was going to be around forever, and uh, and so you, you, yeah, it comes as a bit of a surprise when you when forget you how many years have passed. Tom Baker is another case in point. You know, yeah. you, you, Tom, you feel that Tom will be around forever. Yeah. Um, and so it's a bit of a shock when you see him and, and maybe he doesn't look quite as young as he did five years ago. It was, it was a shock because we, you don't realise how many years have gone gone yeah. past. Because yeah. we're, li we're living our lives at the same yeah, exactly. time, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. At the top yeah, of the show, we played right. that clip of, uh, of Bernard Cribbins accepting that National Television Award on behalf of the entire production team for Doctor Who back in the late noughties. He was really, again, he was dropped in at the deep end there by David Tennant. Go on, mate, he said to him like that. And you could see, totally, he had no idea that was going to happen. And he just comes up with a speech off the top mm. of his head. He just handles the business, doesn't he? He handles it, handles it all so well. But you can see, when you look at the faces of, of David Tennant, and you can see stood behind him, oh, Julie Gardner, Russell C. Davies, Liz Sladen's there. And you can see them smiling at him, you know, the loving, loving the moment and that they will they will cherish that memory as we'll all cherish the, the memory of Bernard Cribbins of being entertained by him over so many decades. We'll be back with a few more tributes and memories after this quick break. It's that time in the show where we, we shoot off into a parallel dimension to fill you in on everything that's going on on all the other fabulous podcasts across the Fandom Podcast Network. So here's our friend Kevin with all of that, we'll see you back, back here in a couple of minutes with more about the legend. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'd like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to these other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, discussing the latest in entertainment pop culture. Blood of Kings, Immortals Take Notice, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theaters, where we celebrate our favorite movies. Time Warp, the fandom flashback podcast discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie and TV pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville show. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our show covering the time-traveling Doctor Who universe with host Dan Hadley. Lethal Mullet, an 80s and 90s action film podcast with host Adam P. O'Brien. Also check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast with hosts Scott, Derek, and Nathan. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, a deep dive into the final frontier with hosts Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. And check out our newest shows, The Fandom Show, our monthly fandom podcast network live YouTube exclusive show about the month's hottest topics in fandom, and the FPN True Believers MCU podcast, discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the related Marvel television and streaming MCU universe, including the connections to the original Marvel comics. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on several platforms. Please subscribe to the Fandom Podcast Network YouTube channel to receive notifications of new podcast episodes and live events. You can enjoy all of the Fandom Podcast Network audio podcasts on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. The Fandom Podcast Network is on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. 
You can also find the Fandom Podcast Network on Instagram at Fandom Podcast Network and on Twitter at FanPod Network. Thank you for listening and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased and tantalized you there as always. And we can even clothe you too. There's merch to match. Sorry, JT, but there is merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40. If you head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and there you'll find the, the storefront full of all the team colours for all of the podcasts on everything from T-shirts to mugs to phone cases and those huge tapestries. I'm never sure who has those or where they put them, but they do sell. Tapestries are there too. Seeing is believing. Treat yourself, treat your other selves, and it all goes to support the Fandom Podcast Network into the bargain. We're here celebrating the life and the work of Bernard Cribbins, who passed away just a few days ago at the age of 93. All of us, all of us here paying our respects and reliving some great memories from from times past where he's entertained so many generations of British kids. There's been a few tributes, obviously, over the last few days from people within the Doctor Who world we're going to concentrate on. But there's been so, so many because he did work with them all. I thought we'd start with this one. This is from John Barrowman, who says that uh, when I started my career in 1989 in Thingo's, Bernard Cribbins was by my side as a gracious co-star, but also as a teacher and mentor, showing me subtleties of comic timing and stagecraft, not to mention where to get the best fish and, fish and chips and custard cream donuts in Soho. It should come as no surprise, really, that Bernard and John Barrowman worked together really should, Simon. <laughs> no, no, what comes more as a surprise is the fact that I've never discovered custard cream donuts in Soho. <laughs> I need, I'm on a mission. I need to know where to get those from. No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, it, what's interesting, though, is is uh, John Barrowman. He's one of those Marmite people, isn't he? You either love him or you oppose him. And, yeah, and that goes to prove what I was saying earlier, that Bernard Cribbins is one of those that, that, that everybody loves. Um but, but no, it, again, it also just goes to show the versatility that we've talked about before. I mean, you have to wonder, when you say lo- lots of Doctor Who, fan, uh, Doctor Who um, alumni are, are lining up to pay quite rightly their tributes to him, and you kind of think, I wonder whether he is, whether Bernard Cribbins is the most prolific performer ever to have appeared in Doctor Who, in that, is he the person with the longest list of credits elsewhere? It's possible. I don't know. I think maybe John Pertwee might be a contender. I don't know. I think Bernard Cribbins could well be the person with the longest list overall of credits that's ever worked in Doctor Who. But I'm happy to some, for somebody to challenge me on that one. And, I and think over wrong. 70 years of a career, I think logistically that's likely anyway. But the fact that throughout all that time, he had very few laws in that year. Simon's mm-hmm. probably onto something there, isn't he? When did he start? The forties? Was it the fifties? Fifties. Nineteen fifty. His first credit was in nineteen fifty-six. Well, also, what we have to what we have to think about here is he was in the Dalek movie in sixty-six with the series three of the main series of Doctor Who on TV at that time. So, so let's just extrapolate that for a second. Let's imagine that that was that, that he was in Doctor Who at that time in series three. So, what we're talking about is a Doctor Who career from series three right up to the 60th anniversary special. That's got to be the longest span of any actor ever to Mm. have worked on Doctor Who. Surely, again, it's got to be. 
I mm. can't think of anybody else who could even come close. Whatever part that they've played, even even doctors, which brings us to to this guy. Colin Baker has also paid tribute to Bernard Cribbins. And now, uh, dear Bernard Cribbins has left us. The world and the acting profession will be poorer without him. A lovely man, a fine, subtle actor. He was Dangerous Davies in 1980, and he arrested me. It was an honour, says Colin there. Again, Colin being around for a long time now. I think his first roles were probably in the early 70s. But plenty of, I hate to say, plenty of, of laws. He's not as versatile as Bernard was and and I probably he'd probably be the first to to concede that I think mm. that John Pert well you, you may be right because of all the radio he did and lots of stage work too yeah I think we could be on a bit of a fool's errand trying to find anybody who could possibly be nasty to Bernard Cribbins I think we mentioned that earlier on the master John Sim he agrees with you he's put out this tribute he says that being horrible to Wilf was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do as an actor Mm. Wiping out a tenth of the population didn't bat an eyelid. But to be mean to Bernard Cribbins, a challenge. He'd look at me after a take, and with that lovely twinkle in his eye, he would say, oh, you horrible sod. <laughs> <laughs> That's very Bernard Cribbins, isn't it? It is. You can hear his, you can hear his <laughs> voice, can't you? And, so, and, and again, that's one of the things that's so lovely about Bernard Cribbins is he clearly loved what he did. He really enjoyed his work. This um, is life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, for fear of banging on about uh, modern celebrities, but boy, am I fed up of hearing them bemoaning um, yeah. how difficult yeah. they can't Oh, it's such a hard life, isn't it, Simon? Yeah, mm. I'm, just, I don't, I'm not interested in, in, in all of that. It's boring, it's dull, and it, I, I don't care. Uh, whereas Bernard Cribbins clearly loved everything he did, and, and it exudes into every performance he gives and, and every interview that he does. And, and let's not forget, he didn't do that many interviews. He, he, he was No, he didn't. Uh, and again, that's part of the charm. You know, we've got to be honest here. It was a different time for Bernard. It was a different time for that generation. You know, if I had to choose which one to be, which world to be in, I'd rather be in the the Bernard world because it was a point where your life was your own private thing. And if you were a star, that's all the audience knew of you. I was just thinking that phrase, Bernard world. Maybe there is a world, a parallel universe, a parallel (laughs) world out there. We're just like the Womble Charlotte where we're all voiced by Bernard Cribbins. I was was about to say that um, it's hard for Charlotte to connect to what me and um, Simon, not sure about Dan, (laughs) me and Simon are saying, really. (laughs) You know, when it comes to the Wombles, because it was a very different time, you have to understand, Charlotte, because there was no such thing as social media. And all we had, all we we did was connect to the TV. So when you came up from school, it was Jack and Nori, and then you had your tea. Nobody has tea anymore. Right, nobody has teeny one. Then it was like, oh, I what is do. It? Ian, you well, know I yeah, too. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> yeah, maybe we are being unfair on bit, modern actors yeah. because it yeah. is, yeah, you know, as you say, it is a different world. We've got a tribute to from from a, a modern actor too. This one's from Yasmin Finney, who obviously is in the cast of the 60th anniversary material. We still don't know the shape of it, how much of it, what it's called, none of that. But we do know that she's in it with him. And to put out this tribute here, you will always be loved, Bernie, aka the best granddad I could ever have. Asked for on, on this particular issue, what what has been really in my mind over all of this since we heard this this sad news that that Bernard had gone is I, I'm praying that they finished filming 
stuff with him. I, I think they did. Okay, because that would be awful if it was the yeah, case that they had to lose what, what was shot because they had... Yasmin has also finished on the show, and I, I believe so okay. has Jacqueline King, who plays okay. Sylvia too. So mm-hmm. they have moved on. They are still filming. And, and for fear of that sounding like it, that's just me being selfish, it isn't. On the contrary, it's me thinking, okay, what a fantastic tribute the 60th will be to Bernard, the fact that he is in there um, as, as the character that is so loved. So I'm, I'm delighted to think that he's in there. And, and they well, they're going to obviously put something in the beginning of it to burn up, to burn, or the Americans I, I would, would say Bernard. That. One would hope so. <laughs> We've, speaking yeah. about the 60th anniversary material as well, we do have this from Russell T. Davis, a big, oh, wow. uh, a big tribute here. And uh, yeah, the, he says that uh, he knew everyone. He talked about the Beatles, David mm. Niven, and how he once sat on the stairs at a party impersonating bird calls with <laughs> T.H. T. White. Then he'd add, I said to Ashley Banjo last week, all, mm. the, all these names from throughout the yeah. decades. He loved being in Doctor Who, says Russell. He said, children are calling me granddad in the street. His first day right. was on location with Kylie Minogue, but all eyes, even Kylie's, were on Bernard. He turned up with a suitcase full of props just in case, just in case, including a rubber chicken. Fantastic. <laughs> Russell finishes off with, uh, and what an actor. Really, though, what a wonderful actor. He, uh, we once took him to the TV Choice Awards and sent him up on his own to collect that award, and the entire room stood up and cheered him. Thanks for everything, my old soldier, a legend has left this world. Yeah, it is true. He is. He, he was a legend. He he will remain a legend forevermore. Yeah, but it was the end line that I adore. Thanks for <coughs> my my old soldier. Mm-hmm. And you can just see how much he meant to Russell. Like what you were saying about hopefully he's filmed his scenes. I I, I would be very surprised if Russell didn't understand his health at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And probably was very right. thinking, I've probably only got a very small time I can film. So yeah. to get the best of what I can out of that time. Yeah. And yeah, I think I spoke to a few people who were gonna who were who were basically said to me, watching the sixtieth is gonna be so much harder now. Mm-hmm. Because of the emotion and because we know that this is probably the last thing we're gonna see him in. Mm-hmm. I can remember the day when the when the photos leaked. Because it never—it's not even yet been fully announced. We just saw no. the filming and the, the reaction online. People were just so happy. I even saw more happiness for Wilf with some people than David Tennant coming back. Yeah. <laughs> it did it seem like the icing on the cake somehow, didn't it? Because of the—it's uh, because of the warmth that that Bernard has always exuded, and the, and the warmth that's exuded from his characters that you you just can't help warming to him and and loving the fact that that that, that he's there. I mean, I would imagine. I don't know. I would imagine that that um, he, he possibly was only on location for a couple of days shooting what I suspect is probably a cameo. And if that's the case, then if nothing else, we have possibly Russell to thank for for just ensuring that Wilf was in there and Bernard was quite rightly remembered in the 60th anniversary special. Numerous people too have mentioned the fact, Ian, how at the time of his passing as well, Bernard Mm. as an an actor, well into his 90s, also had a film currently playing in cinemas. Many cinemas up and down the country are currently screening that double bill, Doctor Who and the Daleks and Daleks Invasion Earth 2150. Mm. Bernard plays such a a key part in that second movie. And uh, I, I would imagine that he knew about that 
after he gets battered in the head, he, he literally opens the door <laughs> to the TARDIS. And you're like, don't they lock that thing? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he goes, he's like, oh, <laughs> he faints. You're like, what the hell? One more quote here. This is from Bad Wolf Studios themselves, who say that Bernard brought humour, wit and warmth to the screen and also to the set. He was the heart and soul of the noble family and looked up to the stars on screen and in life. He will be hugely missed by everyone on Doctor Who and all our thoughts are with his family at this time. That's nice. Whenever somebody dies, you get these these, these kind of um, tributes. But in in this particular case, I, I genuinely think everyone of them is, is really, really heartfelt. In the old days when it wasn't social media, you'd have people on the news maybe saying a couple of bits, but the majority of people wouldn't say anything, but they would mm. feel it, obviously. And we do have a short clip here of two people who worked with Bernard Cribbins very, very Stop. closely on Doctor Who, see what they've got to say. I mean, he was genuinely lovely. Um, he had a warmth about him and a twinkle about him. It's a huge takeaway for mm. sort of, I think, our lives and our, certainly our careers to, to have um, had him in it. And there's a, there's a Bernard Cribbins shaped hole in the world. Yeah. Crew and the cast of Doctor Who join us in sending a big final salute out there to Bernard Cribbins, not just for Wilf Mott and Tom Campbell, but all those memories from all over the decades. It's alleged that during during that time where Russell was putting together his material that he'd, he'd heard because he was a big supporter of the Big Finish range. And Bernard Cribbins was in this, uh, this story from 2007. So just a year before he was in the horror of glam rock which is Go a good one. I've listened to this. What is it? What part is he playing in that then, Dan? I've not. He heard plays of a no. glam rock band's manager. Quite a sort of spivvy <laughs> of character. Called, does. <laughs> a spivvy character called Arnold Corns. He actually plays a bit of a nasty piece. He's not a nice character. Because Arnold Corns, there's a David Bowie connection with Arnold Corns. Arnold Corns, I think, as I recall, is a real is the name of a band. Bowie wrote some material for back in the 60s or 70s. So, so they've obviously done a clever little thing with linking all that in. But it's interesting that he's playing a baddie. He doesn't play many baddies. This, how, how long ago was this taken? This was in 2007. He did read one of the official BBC novels, Beautiful Chaos by Gary Russell. He read the entirety of that, I would imagine, you do not just the voice of Wilf, but pretty much everybody else, knowing Bernard. And then there was a big finished drama called No Place 2, written by James Goss which featured the entire noble clan there. That was part of the Tenth Doctor's Adventures range of full cast drama. So Bernard returned to his role, just as Jacqueline King and Catherine Tate did. So those extra doses of Wilf Mott, they're out there too. But we do have the uh, the big one, don't we, coming for the 60th anniversary. We don't know how much of, of Wilf or Bernard Cribbins that we're going to get in that, but I'm looking forward to it. Hope you are too all of the diamond anniversary material that's coming. We know so little about it. I remain very, very excited. And it's so fitting that Bernard Cribbins is there. He's in his, sadly, will be his final final role. As always though, Ian, you know, there are other stories connected with Doctor. Simon, you mentioned it earlier on because an actor like Bernard Cribbins, we talked about him being in the same bracket as the John Pertwees and the Tom Bakers. And, uh, and just like, uh, David Warner. You think, oh, he'd have made a brilliant Doctor Who, and why didn't this, and why didn't that? 
People say this about Bernard Cribbins. Why was he never Doctor Who? Well, the truth of the matter is that he did audition. It could have happened. Bernard Cribbins auditioned for Barry Letts back when John Pertwee was leaving the show. He was one of the one of the many actors that were being considered then. They weren't really sure, Simon, about what direction to go with in with the character at that time. Were they following John Pertwee? You know, they they were making a commitment, weren't they, originally to go much older with the yeah. actor, and that's how Ian Marta got involved. But it seems that they were looking at middle-aged actors too, and Bernard Cribbins went in there and spoke to Barry about it. Have you ever heard this story? Yeah, now you now you mention it. Yeah, I have heard it, and I think at the same time wasn't that also when they saw Jim Dale also from the Carry On films, who was a similar Possibly. kind, similar kind of character actor to Bernard Cribbins. They also saw uh, Michael Benteen. I think you kind of get the feel of, of the kind of part of person that they were looking at at that point. Do we know? I, I'm not certain what why Bernard either turned down the part or was not cast. Did he turn it down? I, we do have it on Bernard's authority in his own words. He went in there and he spoke to Barry about it. And Barry asked him, well, how would you play the part? And the only quote we have from Bernard is that he told him, well, I was a, I was a paratrooper, so I can fight. And apparently Barry didn't like that Bernard saw it as that kind of role where the Doctor would be a violent character. No, because Barry, of course, was a, was a, a Buddhist and so uh, was very much on his, uh, on his compassionate side. What a shame that we were robbed of Bernard. But then we wouldn't have had Tom Baker. So, you know, it's sliding doors, isn't it? It's apparently, it's left turns. Who knows? And in Mm. interviews since, Bernard Cribbins often remarked to the fact that, uh, you know, Tom Baker, when he took the role, there were several times where where Tom did get pretty rough and tumble with people. It was like the seeds of doom, Ian. But, you know, that's... We only have this tiny fraction of what could have been an hour or two between the two gentlemen. I think it was probably more involved in that. But the idea that Bernard Cribbins could have been the Doctor Charlotte, what do you think of this? I'm not surprised. Like you said, especially in classic era, it felt like from the stories I've heard from you and a few others, it just seemed to be they had such a wide audition process or they had such mm. a wide sort of reach whenever they were looking for yeah. replacements. So it's not a surprise. And to be fair also, just the comment made me sort of go, yeah, the Doctor isn't a soldier like the way it seemed to be maybe bernard was seeing maybe just off that comment that's more of a modern everything i would argue if anything yeah i remember when um pertweed left and um i did um I, I heard that he was leaving i was just a kid at the time and i remember somebody saying to me maybe roy castle can play the doctor and you know what thinking about it now he probably would have made a good doctor roy castle because he could play the dramatic stuff he'd also play comedy as well but, you know, Bernard, think, Bernard would have made a good Doctor as well, in my opinion. Yeah, I think Bernard would have made a cracking Doctor, I, mm. I do have to say. I think he would yeah. have I could really see it, Bernard work well with companions, like with yeah. the other actor. That's yeah, yeah. what I think he would really excel at. Yeah. Really yeah. build a relationship, build a sort of... Uh, like, he does it with even actors he, he doesn't know. So I'd, I'd think it'd be interesting if he did have that time and that space to really build something possibly as a doctor and companion. But you know what's interesting, again, it's only just occurring to me, again, maybe Dan, you know this, I'm trying to think from, from having looked at all of his credits, I'm trying to think of an example where he was actually a, a, a real leading... He was always supporting... Uh, I don't think of any. Colin mentioned the, the TV movie Dangerous Davies. That was a series of books by the writer Leslie Thomas, and Bernard was the lead in that. 
the Dangerous Davis was a, the last detective. And eventually that did get turned into a TV show that ran for yeah. four or five years with Peter Davison in the same Davison. role. <laughs> that yeah. original TV movie, I think it was made made by Houston Films, somebody like that, Ian, that had worked mm. on Minder and things like that. Yeah. And, he, and he was very much that central character. But mm. I can't think of anything else either because he was a supporting cast member of the of the Railway of Children. That, you know, yes. it was very firmly about the kids, wasn't it? So that mm. doesn't really count. He's very much the supporting or the person that, that you know, that that's integral to the story, whatever. He has that kind of face. He doesn't really have a... It, I could, mean, be, it could be said, though, Ian, that was, mm. that's true of a lot of the actors who've played our doctors, isn't it? Tom, you can imagine Tom going into an audition and just being just being Tom. You're like bloody hell. <laughs> this is higher. He him, would have, you know I mean? he would so, have owned. He would have owned yeah. it. Wouldn't he, he would have owned it. Yeah, yeah definitely. It. Same thing with Matt Smith. In my opinion, you know, when I saw Matt Smith the first time, I saw Matt Smith kiss his knee. I was like that. I'm sold. This guy's the doctor. Bernard doesn't have that, does he? He's very much a. You know, very much a homely kind of. We'll find out more about all of this, about not just the Doctor Who story, but all of the parts that he didn't get. I mean, you think about that big, that long list of credits that we were talking Mm, about earlier last time. In a career that spans all that time, there's bound to be some great parts that he didn't get. And Mm. Bernard did write his autobiography just a couple of years ago. It was called Bernard Who, 75 years of doing just about everything. Not that long ago on social media, his agent was part of a big campaign because Bernard dearly wanted to turn his autobiography into a talking book and he couldn't get a publisher for it. But through Twitter, his manager was able to get some traction on this. And we do have it on his authority that uh, an audiobook was eventually recorded. It's due for release at some point, hopefully next year. We'll be able to hear all of that in Bernard's own voice. Oh, obviously, you can, you can go and pick up the book. It's available on Amazon and uh, in your local bookstore any actor that's struggling now would want a career like that. Yeah. If you think about the people of that time, like for instance, Richard O'Sullivan was like a huge TV star, just like Bernard, right? Yeah. He started in a couple awesome. of just like Bernard. But the, the but the way he ended was kind of horrible. But Bernard, he lived to a certain age and started yeah. freaking Doctor Who. Do you know what I mean? He went out in a blaze of glory. Yeah. So we should all celebrate that, you know, that, yeah. that man shone brightly. He lived a a long and satisfying and happy life with his wife of of all those decades, that career, all those roles across 70 odd years, and now will be be fondly remembered and celebrated. There's lots of beautiful fan art out there Mm. through social media. Go and and find that. There's one one in particular that Shooty Gatwa has sort of retweeted and shared to, one by, by Shay, which quotes that line, I'll look up to the sky and think of you, which I think is from the end of Partners in Crime. That is just beautiful, the way that's Absolutely. been done. But he ended, up in, the, he ended up in the TARDIS, didn't he? I mean, he saw, you know, uh, Donna fly off at one point and then in the, in the last episode, he ended up in the TARDIS with, with the Doctor, so he knows what it's all about now. When Donna was getting married, he was he was so upset that the Doctor was leaving, you know, that was he was thinking that was the last time he was going to see him. That's why he does that salute to him and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Rest in peace, but Bernard Cribbins. And, he's in a uh, better place. I'm sure that he would uh, want us to enjoy the 60th anniversary material that he's part of, as well as go and re-watch some of these moments of glory, not just from Doctor Who, but from throughout his career. Uh, that's the old girl starting off and calling time on this edition of Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast 
I'll be back with another soon. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been at the dedicated home fee for Type 40, type40.podbean.com. Or maybe we, we rolled up on Spotify, Audible, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Podbay, one of those places. We're pretty much everywhere. We're still part of the Fandom Podcast Network's glorious master feed full of amazing podcasts, terrific conversations, treats for your ears on the daily. Let us know what you think about it all, about Bernard Cribbin. Send us your memories, your favourite moments of, uh, of his time as Wilf, or all those roles, the Jack and Ories, the Wombles, everything else, the Railway, railway Children. Why can't I say Railway? I'm turning it to Jonathan know. Ross. <laughs> Let us know. Get in touch with us through our social media, that's our Instagram and Twitter, at Type40DoctorWho, or you can email us, Type40DoctorWho, at gmail.com for that matter failing that just come and tell us in real time by joining us in the type 40 facebook group that's full of generations upon regenerations of fans sharing their memories about classic doctor who and those dalek movies all that stuff from the from the new series of doctor who that's just wrapped and we're speculating too about everything that's to come from the 60th anniversary year onwards in all new doctor who he's in there charlotte where can people hear more from you I'm not really on social media, but I am in the Type 40 Facebook group. So now and again, I do sort of comment and pop in. How about you there, Mr. Mega Geek? What's going on in the Megaverse? Uh, basically, I'm, I'm, I try and encourage people to watch, uh, go to my channel, the Rebecca Gold channel. Obviously, it's a web series. Everybody knows that now. Um, just trying to encourage people. I'm doing season two. That's that's all I'm up to really. But if you get a chance, go come to my channel, Rebecca Gold channel. Subscribe and like and do all the things that... Uh, people do on youtube thank you very much and how about you simon where can people hear more from you they can find me on uh, facebook um where i run the hunatics facebook page um and i'm off now to do a bit more renovation on my house uh, <laughs> going on and i've got some doctor whoey things planned for the renovation so uh, so stay tuned for those what's that show they do on on the tv that that guy goes round? Uh, uh, what is it ah uh, Oh, yeah, I know the one you mean. <laughs> take, they take away half the house and, and sort of rebuild it in an afternoon yeah. or something like that. I know that oh. you're not going to do it in an afternoon. No, but that's wow. not going to happen. <laughs> and you can find me. I'm on Instagram and Twitter as the Spacebook, where I'm geeking out about not just the Doctor Who universe, the Hooniverse, but everything else that goes on across the genre that we love so much in movies, TV, comics, and all the rest of it. Anything that helps me in my lifelong attempt never to grow up. I think Bernard would appreciate that. I'd like to think that he would, certainly. And uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you to Bernard Cribbins for, for being himself, for making us laugh, laugh and, and cry and laugh some more. We always have the time if you have the space here at Type 40. We'll speak to you all again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.